You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. I don't know if I introduced myself earlier, but if I didn't, my name's Jake. I'm lead pastor here at Midtown Church. Love that you're here with us this morning, especially if you're visiting, seeking, coming back to church, having been away for a while. We love that you're here. Well, this morning we're beginning a uh, brand new series, but before I get into that, let me ask you a couple questions. I need a little audience participation here, okay? A little show of hands. How many of you would say that you really enjoy making sales calls? Okay, we got, we got a few of you. I expected to have a few, but, the, but notice the few, y'all are in the vast minority. And I'm not saying that there's something weird about you. I'm just saying that that's weird. All right? So, yeah. Now, those of you who do enjoy making sales calls, how many times do you make a sales call and then, the, then like just, you know, next day, maybe the day after, you're thinking, man, I really want to call that person again. Not, not to actually make a, call, make a sales, but just because I really enjoy talking with them. I'm just going to keep talking with them. Yeah, that doesn't really happen real often, right? I mean, this is, that's uncommon. Usually you only call people if you're thinking sales calls or you're thinking you're trying to get something from them. Usually you only call them when you're actually trying to get something from them. You don't just call them to talk to them. Now let me give you a little contrast here. Again, audience participation. How many of y'all, raise your hand, if you... In, if, if, if uh, you enjoy talking to a friend or a fiancé or, or a spouse, <laughs> all of you who are married, you better raise your hands. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be bad for you. <laughs> How many of you talk to your friend or fiancé to basically every day? How many of y'all have, like, with a friend or a love interest, actually at some point in time basically stayed up all night long talking to one another? There's all the romantics in the room. Very good. Okay, now let me ask you a couple questions. Why do we happily talk to our friends and spouse over and over again, sometimes for long periods of time, but begrudgingly and rarely do we talk to people that we're trying to get things from? It's not, you know, rocket science here. The, the, the answer is pretty clear. It's because we most enjoy talking to people we know and who we have a relationship and kind of kicker here who we like being with, right? Well, today we're starting this new series we're calling Teach Us to Pray, and the, the, the title of this series comes right out of Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where after Jesus has been praying, one of his disciples comes up to him and he says this exact thing. He says, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And so during this four-week series, we're going to ask the Lord to do the same thing through his word, that he would teach us to pray. And we're going to uh, begin today by looking at a passage that isn't really focused on teaching us how to pray. It's not the main focus here, but more on what will drive us to pray. And no surprise here, but the main thing we're going to see is that what will lead us to pray, what will cause us to want to talk to God regularly, it's the same thing that will cause you or does cause you to want to talk to your friend or your fiance or your spouse regularly. It's this, it's that you want to be with him, that you want to be with him, that you enjoy knowing him and being with him. But here's the thing, okay, follow me here. When it comes to how we relate to God, 
all of us at times, and perhaps some of us all the time, want something more than being with God. That when it comes to how we relate to God, like how we relate to Him, when it comes to how we relate to Him, we are often more concerned with what we can get from God or what we can do for God. Can you relate to that? You know what I mean by that? See, if you base your relationship with God primarily on a desire to get things from Him, you will pray. I mean, absolutely, you'll pray. But your prayers will primarily consist of you asking God for things for Him to do for you or for Him to give you. And you'll pray until He does or until you get tired of asking for Him to do that. And then you'll stop. And then when you want something bad enough again, then perhaps you'll begin to pray again. Or for those of us who relate to God primarily based on trying to get trying to do things for him, thinking his love and acceptance is contingent on what you can accomplish for him, thinking your value and significance is primarily based on what you can do for his kingdom or to advance his glory, then again, you will pray, absolutely you'll pray, but you will primarily pray out of discipline because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And so like a sales agent, you'll pick up that phone, you'll, you'll make the call, but often you're not going to be real excited about it. But here's the thing. If instead, friends, if what we really wanted, more than getting things from God or just living your life for God to feel like he's pleased with you, if what you really want is to be with him, it would change your prayer life. And then more, even more, it would just change the entire way you relate to God. And so this morning, to help us kind of think through what does this look like, I want us to go to Exodus 33. We're in this passage, we're going to see what this driving desire looks like and why it's so much better than just simply trying to get things from God or simply just living for Him. So if you will, go to Exodus 33, your phone, your Bible, whatever. I'll also have the words up here on the screen, but before we get to this, let me give you a little context because what happens in Exodus 33 is comes right off the heels of something huge in Exodus 32 and kind of in the whole book of Exodus leading up to this point. So here's the context. God has rescued his people, the Israelites, from Egypt, from Egyptian slavery through the Passover. He's chosen them. They're his. They're his people. And now he's leading them to the promised land the land that he has promised their forefathers that he would give them. And so he's leading them from Egypt through the, uh, through the wilderness to the promised land. He's, his presence is uniquely with them. That leading them by fire at night, uh, fire, fire at night, smoke by the, during the day, like uniquely with them. And God leads them to Mount Sinai, and they, God's presence rests on the top of the mountain. And Moses goes up there to get instructions from God on how they are to live as his people. Now, get this, not to be his people, but as his people. He gets instructions how to live as his people. So he gets the Ten Commandments. But here's the thing. <laughs> Moses is gone for a little too long, like a little longer than the people expected him to be gone. And so the people, the Israelites, they start getting nervous and think maybe God's like abandoned them. Maybe Moses has died. I don't know what's going on. And so they, they, they end up like taking off all their jewelry and they melt it down and they make a golden 
calf, and they worship it. Now, the best way I, I know how to explain what that would be like is this. If you got married, now, Nat Liz, I know y'all got married. This has nothing to do with y'all. This is, it, it, hypothetically, if someone else were to get married, and on the night of their wedding, after their wedding, they're going to stay at a hotel, and then the next day they're leaving to go on their honeymoon. And if on that night they're at the hotel and let's say one of the, one of the spouses, the wife sneaks out, husband falls asleep, wife sneaks out, goes down to the hotel bar, meets a guy, has an affair, comes back the next morning, husband understands that's what's happened. That's what this is like. It's incredible, incredible betrayal. And that's what happens in Exodus 32. And we're going to read Exodus 33. This is what it says, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place and you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites and Amorites and Hittites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites and Terminites and termites and parasites and on and on, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, let me stop there. In other words, God's saying, okay, I'm going to keep my promise to you. The promise that I've made to your forefathers, I'm still going to give you the promised land. I promised that to you, but here's the thing. This is like the husband saying to his wife when she shows up the next morning, they're supposed to get on the plane and fly to Hawaii for their honeymoon. He says, hey, wife, like you still go. We've already paid for it. I promise to you, you go. But in light of your betrayal, here's what God says. But I will not go with you. But I will not go with you. Because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. That sounds harsh, right? But the Bible's clear. The wages of sin is death. And the just penalty for their sin and any sin is this, that we would die for our sin. And God says, I can't be around you. If I'm around you, I might just destroy you. I'm going to give you your just penalty. You go. I'm just not going to go with you. Now, here's the thing. I think that most people particularly most Americans, would consider this to be a dream offer. For here God is saying, I will give you the success you desire, economic success. You will be in the land of milk and honey. You know, symbolic language to say this just really rich land that has everything that you need. And you will have military and political success. I'm driving all of these out. The angel's going to come and drive all these out for you. You're going to have incredible success. And I'm going to give it to you without any real obligation to me. No maintaining the tabernacle. No obligations. No worrying about me because I'm not going to be with you. See, you're not going to get me. My presence will not go with you, but you'll still get everything you want from me. How do you think Moses responds to that offer? Before we go there, let me just ask you, how would you respond to that offer? In his book, With, uh, which this book I highly recommend to you. We did a sermon series from this book four years ago. It is just 
absolutely foundational to the culture within Midtown that we talk all the time about being with God. This book is awesome. Highly, highly recommend it. Go get it. Sky Jathani with, there's my plug, in that book, Sky Jathani, the author, cites a, a, a study that a sociologist from the University of North Carolina did that examined the religious lives of teenagers. And the findings of the study were that most American teenagers view God as a combination, hear this, of a divine butler and cosmic therapist, where God exists to help them through their problems and help them achieve what they desire. And when asked why most teens view God as a butler slash therapist, the head researcher concluded it was because most of, their, most of their parents viewed God in the same way. Now, can you all identify with that? See, it's really common to relate to God as a divine genie in the sky or cosmic Santa Claus, who's there to do stuff for you and bring you what you want and grant your wishes and if, if he could just do that for you, and you don't have to be with him, or he's not going to promise to be with you, you're still, you're like, man, as long as I'm getting this stuff from God, I'm, I'm pretty cool with that arrangement. Now, here's the caveat, okay? It is absolutely true that all good gifts that we have come from the hand of our loving Father. That's James chapter 1. And it's, this is also true, that... Um, we have, uh, you know, we're told repeatedly in Scripture that we are to ask God for things and that Jesus even, teach, even teaches that we are to ask God for things repeatedly without giving up and that we are told to present our requests to God. Absolutely, that is completely true. But when we reduce our relationship with God down to just trying to get things from him, it is a clear sign that we have bought into our consumer worldview and applied it to how we view God. Where God is just a means to an end and only as valuable as he is in doing stuff for you. And that in God himself there is no inherent worth. That God's value is really just based on getting things from him. And so though it's true that he gives and we should ask, if you have to evaluate. If, when I think about my prayers, the vast majority of my prayers just consist of me asking things from him. If so, then that could be a sign that that's the way you primarily relate to him. Not really caring to be with him, but just trying to get something from him. If that was the basis of Moses' relationship with God, he would have been very happy to take all the blessings he could from God without caring that God was not going to come with them any longer. But instead, here's how he responds. Skip down to verse 15. Key verse for today as well as the next 33, 40 days, wherever we are on that. Here's what he says. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Now, why would Moses respond that way? 
Well, to put it as Dr. Susie as I could come up with, this is make my wife really cringe. Here it is, but hopefully make you remember it. It's because Moses valued God's presence over God's presence. See what I did there? <laughs> Not sure if I should be proud or ashamed, but I thought that was clever. Um, put it another way, less cheesy, he valued being with God over just getting things from God. And friends, if you're going to learn to pray, if you're going to be driven to pray regularly and joyfully, you're going to need to come to the same conclusion. God's presence is greater than his presence. That being with God is better than getting things from him. Now, here's the thing. This as this passage continues, it becomes clear that not, only did God, that not only did Moses understand that his relation with God wasn't simply based on what he could get from God, he also understood that it wasn't based on what he could do for God. You can see that in the next two verses. Right after verse 15, he follows it up by saying, How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? Okay, now here's the thing. Many of us functionally believe that the way we can know God is pleased with us, pleased with us, as if we spend our lives living for God. Like if I can accomplish a lot for God, serving lots of people, telling lots of people about Jesus, living generously, giving money away and time away to advance God's kingdom, God's work in the world, if I can avoid the bad sins, whatever, however you define that, and I can live a holy life, then I'll be able to know God is pleased with me. See, I think many of us think like this. I know God loves me, but if I can do a lot of stuff for him, then I'll know he really loves me. Then I'll know he's really pleased with me. For a long time, I believed that what mattered most in my relationship with God was how much I could do for him. And so I was driven out of a desire to serve him and share the gospel and read the Bible and pray all as a way and avoid, you know, avoid sin all as a way so that I could know God was pleased with me. And so, and this is kind of unique to me in this way that it was really big to do those things so that I could feel like I was significant in his eyes, distinguished in his eyes. And I've talked to enough of you friends to know that That kind of thinking really wasn't unique to me. But but in this kind of thinking, prayer either becomes something you have to do, like I said earlier, as as a discipline, or you pray just to ask God to help you do what you're trying to do for him so you can prove your significance to him, or prayer becomes something you avoid when you're mindful of all the ways you're failing to live for him. But here, in this passage, in these verses, 16, 17, or verse 16, Moses says, no, I, I, I don't wanna, I'm not giving into that. 
That's not what I believe. I know that's not true. See, I'm not going to try to take the promised land without you, God, as a way to win you back and kind of gain your pleasure. We're not going to leave here without you for the way I will know, the way that God's people will know, the way that the other nations will know that you're pleased with us and that we're distinguished and significant to you is only this. It's only if you are with us. And so we prayed, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses understood that the one and only indication that God is pleased with us is if God is with us. Which is why he valued God's presence, to go back to our goofy statement, God's presence over the presence he could give to God. To put it another way, he valued being with God over just doing things for God. And friends, if you're going to learn to pray, if you're going to be driven to pray regularly and joyfully, you're going to need to come to that same conclusion. God's presence is of greater worth than any presence we can give him. Being with God is better than just doing things for God. And now it's certainly true. Here's a caveat again here. It's certainly true that God's word calls us to live for God's glory. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do it for the glory of God. Certainly God has given us a mission to go and make disciples that make disciples to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Absolutely, we are to do those things for God. But if we reduce our relationship, build our entire relationship, make living for God the main thing in our relationship with God, then you're living contrary to the gospel. For the gospel of Jesus is that our relation with God is based on what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? And not what we have done for him. And yes, the gospel should absolutely compel us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for Jesus who died and rose again. That's 2 Corinthians 5. But also in 2 Corinthians 5, it makes it completely clear that the main purpose of the gospel was not to get us to live for God, but to make the way for us to be reconciled to God. So that we could be with God. Whereas 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to what? To bring you to God. That's the purpose of the gospel. It's being with him. And so, yes, let's live for him. But, man, if that's, not, if that's the main thing, you've missed it. No, the main thing is that we would be with him, with him. And that we would say like Moses, I don't want to go live for you if it means going without you. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. But if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Because see, Moses valued and we got to value if we're going to pray, if we're going to commune with God. We got to understand living for God is not as good as living with him. But unfortunately, most, of, most often, we are way more focused on trying to get things from God or trying to live for him. Why do y'all think that is? I mean, why don't we focus on living from or trying to get life from him or living our life for him as opposed to living with him? 
If I had to venture a guess, and I doubt it's as black and white as this, but here's one of the things I think is absolutely at play is this. Now, I think the main reason we focus on trying to get things from him over being with him is because we are not captured by who he is. His inexhaustible worth and majesty, inherent beauty is foreign to us. And so we would rather get stuff from him than be with him because we treasure the things we can get from him more than we treasure him because we don't know who he is. And I think the main reason we focus on trying to live for him instead of primarily valuing being with him is because yet we've yet to grasp the full extent of what he has done for us and why he did it. We don't fully grasp what he accomplished for us in the gospel and why he accomplished it to bring us to be with him. And guys, that's why we're starting this whole series off with asking God to teach us to pray for his presence. And God, would you teach us to pray for your presence? For it's when we experience God's presence, God's inherent, incredible worth comes home to us. And when we experience God's presence, what God has done for us in order to be with him sets us free from thinking that we have to live for him in order to earn his love or be significant in his eyes. Now, that might kind of sound churchy, right? You know, pray for his presence. Like, what does that even mean? So let me give you a, a definition here. Here's what God's presence is. In Scripture, it's, it's presented in this way. God's presence is an immediate first-hand heart sense of the size, character, and attributes of God. Let me say that again. God's presence is an immediate first-hand heart sense of the size, character, and attributes of God. Or if I put it another way, it's when we go from simply knowing things about God to actually experiencing who he is. To where you don't just know about him, but you know him tasted him. You've experienced him. That is his presence as scripture speaks of it. So in this passage, after Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going, he takes it to another level. And in verse 18, he says this, then Moses said, now show me your glory. Like, I want to experience your presence right now. I want you to go with us, and I want to know you're going with us because I want you to see your glory right now. Show me your glory. And amazingly, graciously, God answers him by saying this, that next verse, verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And then in chapter, the next chapter, chapter 34, verses 5 through 9, that's exactly what God does. There we read this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands 
and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Now, don't miss this. How did God show himself to Moses? I didn't include it in the reading, but God had made it clear to Moses, you can't see me with your own eyes. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by you. I'm going to cover you with my hand. At best, you can see the very back of me, but you can't see me face to face and live. And so in this sense, Moses still experiences the presence of God, but it's not as much about seeing him. How does he experience in this verses? How do you see? How does he experience the presence of God? It's, it's by God proclaiming his name. See, guys, what is the presence of God? As I said, it's the firsthand heart knowledge of who he is, of his name, his character, his size, the immensity of his love, all contained in who he is. Like, listen, I'm not talking here just about understanding the doctrines of God, though those are helpful. It's not head knowledge. It's knowing who God is, intimately experiencing who he is. And that's what happens for Moses at this moment. God proclaims his name, and it comes home to Moses to a greater degree that God really is so incredibly compassionate, so incredibly merciful, that he would go back having experienced this and knowing that this is who God is, and even God including the part that he's, yeah, he's just, and he's going to hold people for their sins, sins don't go unpunished. And then yet, what does he ask? Having experienced who God is in this intimate way, he says, go with us. Please go with us. Even though we're stiff-necked people, forgive us. Why would he ask that? Because he now knows to a greater extent who he is. Here's the thing, friends. I think these kinds of experiences of God do not happen all the time. But I'm afraid the fact that they do not happen often is one of the things that keeps us from asking for them to happen at all. And the truth is, even just one experience of God's presence is enough to sustain you in your relationship with him and drive you to want to be with him for entire seasons of your life, if not for your entire life. And those of you who have experienced God's presence in this intimate kind of way know what I'm talking about. So how does it happen? How do we experience God's presence? How do we seek God's presence? Well, we see it in this passage. We ask him to be with us. And what does Moses do here? He, he asked. He prayed. Prayer, prayer is conversation with God. He's praying to God. God, go with us. God, show me your glory. That what he wanted more than anything else is not something from God or to prove himself 
to God by living for him. And what he wanted more than anything else was for God to be with him and to make his presence known to him. Which is why it is so important for God to teach us to pray for his presence. For you see, the presence of God comes into your life like this when you seek it more than anything else through earnest, continual prayer. For prayer is, at its essence, communing with God. And there is no formula, but in Scripture we do see that it is when people seek after God's presence and ask Him for it that they most often experience Him in this way. Where who He is moves from your head into your heart. And you know who He is more than intellectually, but experientially. And guys, listen, when we pray these kind of prayers, God loves it. He loves it. If we go back to this passage and we just look at how God answers Moses' prayer here, like you see that he loves this. Like when, he, when Moses prays, God, go with us, here's what God says in verse 14. He says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And when Moses prays, God, go with us, for how will I How will we know that you're pleased with us? In verse 17, God responds in this way. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because, hear this, I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And when Moses asked, God, show me your glory, we saw how God responds in verse 19. To read it again, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Is why does God respond this, in this way to this prayer, praying for God's presence? Simply put, it's because God, it's amazing, this, is, this should completely astound us. God wants to be with us. And he responds this way when we pray, saying we want to be with him, with saying, yes, I want to be with you, because he wants to be with you. And often he's just waiting for us to first want to be with him, to ask an earnest, continual prayer for him to come and show us his glory and be present with us. See, when I was dating Krista, we had been dating for a while, and I knew that I wanted to marry her, but I did, what I didn't know yet was that for absolute, you know, I wasn't completely certain if she wanted to marry me. And so she, and the reason I didn't know with absolute certainty it's because she hadn't actually asked me to marry her. She was waiting for me to ask her. And so finally, when I asked her to marry me, she excitedly said yes, which is a complete sign of the grace of God. But it's, you don't have to laugh at that. I, that's me being humble, but you all don't have to agree. The, um, turns out she would have said yes long before I asked her, but she was waiting for me to ask. And guys, I wonder how often that's true about our relationship with God. He wants to be with us. He wants us to more fully know him and experience him, and yet he's waiting for us to want that, to ask for that, to go to him in continual prayer, seeking him, being with him more than seeking things from him or trying to win his love by living for him. Guys, 
Let us pray. God, teach us to pray for your presence. Give us a hunger for your presence. Drive us to prayer because we want to be with you. Show us who you are to help us more fully want to be with you. Show us what you're like and what you've done so we would more fully want to be with you in light of what you've done for us. God, teach us to pray for your presence. And so, in light of that, on Wednesday, we're having a little thing called Concert of Prayer. It's the first time we've done something like this. And we're going to kick off what we're calling 33 Days of Prayer. And in this time, the whole theme of it is that we would pray, God, go with us. That we are praying for God's presence. His presence to be known in our lives, and His presence to be known in our church, and His presence to be known in our city. And so during this season, my invitation to you, and guys, I think if this is, I hesitate saying this at times, but if I could be so bold, I would say God's invitation to you is for you to pray for his presence. That you would go, that you would get to know him to a greater extent that he would reveal his glory to you and that your knowledge of him wouldn't just be knowledge about him, but actually true knowledge of him. That's the theme of these 33 days, and I invite you to participate, to jump in with us, to kick it off at the Concert of Prayer on Wednesday, pick up your prayer guide that we have available here today. Hopefully, y'all have already received that. If not, grab it before you leave and journey with us starting on Wednesday for 33 days, praying God go with us. And when we, listen, when we pray God go with us, we're referring to our dream. We're referring to our vision as a church, which is, which is to see the day when every man, woman, and child has heard the gospel from someone who loves them beginning here in Austin and going to the ends of the earth. But when we talk about our vision, we are very, very specific and purposeful in how we state it as a church. You can read it on this sign over here. Our vision is this, that we will partner with God to see the day. When every man, woman, child has heard the gospel from someone who loves them. And guys, we pray, God, go with us because one, we know that trying to get the gospel to every man, woman, and child is impossibly hard. And to see people respond to the gospel and come to saving faith with God, to, with God is impossible. We can't do that. Only God can do that. So we pray, God, go with us. But it's not just that. We pray, God, go with us because as Moses says here, God, if you do not go with us, we do not want to go. So as a church family, let's cry out, God, go with us. See, we want to more fully know you. And as we're captured by you, then we will be compelled to go with you to tell others about you because we will know how incredible you are and that you truly are the greatest. That you, we will be aware of your inherent worth and that you are the treasure of all treasures and that anyone who does not know you is missing the best thing. And so we will be compelled to go with him as we know him, as we experience his presence and as we are assured that he is going with us. And so let us pray that, friends. Let us pray for his presence more than anything else. And here's the thing, and I'll close with this. 
as we know how He will answer our prayers. For He has already clearly and powerfully demonstrated that He wants to be with us through the cross. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son, that Jesus so loved the world that God the Son gave His life, died in our place for our sins so that we, the stiff-necked people, who so often desire things other than him. He died so that we, sinners, could be brought back to God. The cross declares God's deep desire to be with us. It's, and, friends, it's the very thing the cross accomplishes. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. And through faith in him, we are reconciled to him. And we are promised that he has forgiven our sins and that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. But here's the thing. Though it's true that he is always with us, it is also true that we are not always aware of that. And so let us pray. God, make me aware. God, Help me experience your presence. So let's end this morning by taking communion. And as we take communion together, may it affirm in our hearts that he wants to be with us. As we take the bread and we take the cup, may it remind us that Jesus' body was broken for us, his blood was spilled for us so that we can be brought to be with God. And may that compel us to want to be with him to a greater degree than ever before, moving us to pray for him, to make his presence known in our lives, and then moving us to go with him, to make him known to our city and beyond. I'm going to pray, and you can come up to the front, take communion here, or tables are in the back. You don't have to be a partner here at this church. We just ask that you believe this, that Jesus died for you to make the way for you be brought to be with him. Also during this time, and we're kicking this off, kind of get back to a pattern that we did for a little while and kind of got away from, but during this time of 33 days of prayers and probably beyond that, we're going to have people in the back available for you to pray with. And there's something going on in your life that you would like prayer for, or if you want to just pray, God, help me seek your presence or give me a hunger for your presence, now they're available. And so tonight, so today, tonight, today, uh, Justin and Brenda are in the back and they'd be happy to pray with you if that's something you'd be interested in. Let me pray, and we'll move into a time of communion and worship. Heavenly Father, God, would you give us a hunger for your presence? God, we pray right now, show us your glory. God, we pray right now, go with us. God, we ask that each one of us would experience your presence in a way that we haven't over this next 33 days, and that our knowledge about you would go to something sweeter, more satisfying, more life-changing, or that we would actually not just know about you, we know you. God, would you give us a hunger for that? Would you cause us to want that more than wanting things from you or just concerning and busying ourselves living for you? God, would you want, help us want to be with you more than anything else and may that drive us to earnest, continual prayer. For in prayer, God, we get to commune with you. So teach us to pray.
Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death and resurrection. Thank you for his body broken, his blood spilled. Thank you for what this declares, God. You want to be with us. It's amazing. And may that move us to even want you to a greater extent to be with you. And will you be honored as we lift up these songs of praise to you. May these words come home to our hearts that even now we would experience you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.